Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 66 and today I have both my co-hosts with me again so we have Leon and Ray. Hey guys. Hey dudes. I think it's going to be one of them weeks where we don't have an awful lot to mention but it's going to turn into a long cast anyway I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Story of our lives right? (laughs) Um, I've got a few things to talk about I don't know about you Ray have you got... Yeah, I got a couple of comics that I've uh, that I've read. Uh, one that I genuinely enjoyed, and one that I read because you read it, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. So I'm <laughs> <into> that. <laughs> oh dear, right. Um, so, I mean, before we start, what have you guys been up to in the interim? Because we had um, the episode uh, episode 64, and then I did an interview by myself with uh, the wonderful Ben Khan, and now we are back. So what have you guys been up to in the interim? Uh, listening to your interview with Ben, which was fantastic. thought you did a really good job, and Ben was a wonderful guest. And uh, went and actually read all of um, all of their comics. And I really, really enjoyed Griffin. It's a really good comic, and I implore everyone to go out and read it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. It is such great fun, that book. And mm. uh, I had a blast talking about it. It was great. Um, I mean, in in between times, between this and the last regular show, uh, Vertigo Comics has closed down. Like, well, it's not gone yet, but DC have made plans to sunset it. And obviously you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm making the little inverted air commas. Um, which basically means they're going to take it out back and put a bullet in its head in the shed. So DC, DC have revealed their plans to rebrand everything and uh, they've taken Vertigo comic they're, they're getting rid of Vertigo which I'm quite sad about because Vertigo you know I think the indie comic scene that we have today owes a lot to Vertigo and I talk about this a lot on the um, the interview um, me and Ben have a discussion about this and uh, yeah I, I, I think that indie creators today and the indie scene indie comic scene as in like you know the indie releases and things like that and a lot of these other smaller labels it like this is vertigo's legacy now like some of these comics that we're getting and reading and that we're enjoying and um i'm i'm sad to see it go as the beginning of what is now you know so great like this freedom of expression that you you have and everything and the ability to be able to tell these stories and things outside of normal comic book fair sort of have their roots in vertigo i guess i mean would you agree with that leon yeah i would um like for me vertigo is uh like just uh un inseparable from my journey uh with comics uh when i started to read in my like mid later teens um, and would just dis- discover things uh, whether in my library or whether um, hearing other people discuss them online 
uh, these books that sounded so cool. They were doing a lot of things different. At that point, I was like, ugh, superheroes. I want something edgy and adult. <laughs> uh, and what I got was things that were edgy and adult, but they they also uh, were more mature um, exploration of a lot of things, and they were closer to what I thought of um, as like serious like uh, novels, like literature. Um, and that's, uh, for me, where like, I had that silly distinction where it's like, oh, I, I read graphic novels. Uh, <laughs> these are graphic novels, and the thing is, a lot of a lot of them were actual graphic novels with your with your um, big leather coat and your shades. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I, I don't know what my version of edgy was, to be honest, but um, <laughs> I think it was edgy on edgy inside. And then as soon as I walked out the house, I was a filthy nerd again. But um, yeah, there was a lot of um, I don't know it was like. It was like coming of age in a way, uh, reading a lot of these books. And I remember in my library just picking up things like um, 100 Bullets or like Why the Last Man or um, Sandman and just having my mind blown away. And it was like at the right time, the right type of books. And it helped me look further back at um, what was going on in that space, um, but also um, like look forward um and like follow a lot of these spin-offs or follow a lot of these creators like Brian K. Vaughan being one who I followed um, since um, from project to project as he moved to, and as other um, writers and artists have moved to uh, creator owned um, properties or had runs at like the big two. Um, it's been, it was like really, it was like fertile ground uh, cre- creativity wise. And I, I think like a lot of my favorite comics come from that imprint and come from um the karen burger's tenure um yeah uh, just uh, uh ushering in this uh this age of uh co- comics like in in the greatest sense because we all knew but in the greatest sense of being like comics aren't uh just these uh these kiddie books but comics are literature um and they're um uh as uh, complex and um, as uh, as serious as as, as as meaty as like um, like uh, one thousand word um, like novels and yeah I, yeah I think that the impact of Vertigo can't be um, minimized in any way I, you can no. just feel that I mean the comics now like ninety percent of what we talk about on this show um, has its roots coming from either Vertigo or what Vertigo did for the culture uh, back then and onwards. And um, it's weird because there was a period, even as recent as as, I've been doing the podcast, where I was like, man, I haven't... I've been reading a lot of image books and, like, Boom and Dark Horse. um, But, like, where the hell... I was like, Vertigo, like, Vertigo was my bread and butter. Um... But then there, you look back, uh, I was looking back the last couple of years and that's when I read like Sheriff of Babylon, which is a Vertigo book. And it's like, oh, they're still going strong. It's just like now they're not the one of the few yeah, uh, like lamps in the light. Uh, they, they're not they... like the soul bell tolling, uh, tolling yeah. that you're just, you're just reaching out for. <laughs> now there's, uh, because of them and other people mm. who are working around at that time, 
there's loads of these opportunities now and loads of these really interesting um, titles coming out. This is, but they were still doing good work. Yeah, this is what I've been trying to express that vertigo where the sledgehammer that broke the dam. (laughs) And, um, that sounds like an inefficient way to break it down, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's, yeah, like, like you were just saying, it's, there's so much out there that owes so much to vertigo. Like if vertigo is the tree trunk, everything else is the branches and the leaves and the, like all these, um, other labels, uh, other, uh, other, um, comic publishers that are doing, you know, that are, that are giving, um, space for these indie creators to do what they're doing and create their own stuff and whatever. And, um, I mean, yeah, you can't talk about Vertigo without talking about Karen Berger and Burger Books because I think Burger Books embodies the spirit of Vertigo. I'd like to think that that is where the soul of Vertigo now is. Um, I mean, as much as, as much as there's a piece of it everywhere else, I'd like to think it's there as well. We're not totally losing Vertigo, but we are losing Vertigo in a sense because now everything is being brought under one label and... I get. I think the. I get the impression that anything that would normally have been published with a Vertigo uh, logo on it is now going to be DC Black Label, barrel aged for so many years or whatever for the mature uh, palette. I don't know. I don't know how they how they describe it. But when you, when I say DC Black Label, I instantly think of whiskey. <laughs> I just don't. I. I, I, I mean, don't know it's I hard like not that. to. Yeah. <laughs> and. I mean. Yeah, I, I get what they're trying to do with centralising it all and everything, but I do think it's a little bit unnecessary. You know, I, I can't help but think that what they're doing is slightly unnecessary and they could have just let Vertigo be and carry on and just published everything they're publishing on DC Black Label through Vertigo. I mean, do you not, do you not feel that they're just like attempting to fix something that doesn't need to be fixed <laughs> a little bit do you, do you not feel like that leon i mean I, I i can't really speak for like the business machinations or like the yeah. you know those kind of justifications but what i will say is like not having like you're saying putting all these things under one label under one roof it kind of makes it harder for i don't know maybe people like me who i take i take the name vertigo as a mark of quality or, like, a mark of the kind of stories that I want to engage with. So, like, for example, under Vertigo, I found, like you said, I found Sandman, and I found Why the Last Man, and it those informed my tastes, it informed what I wanted from comics, and I would return to Vertigo for that same type of thing. And I think maybe it's going to be harder to, to know where to turn now when that name isn't there. Well, it's just DC Black Label, you know? But yeah, if it's all under that umbrella, then yeah. like, it just, it, 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 I don't know, in, in my heart, it means something different. I'm going to have to like yeah. relearn what, yeah. that, what that name expresses and what that represents. Yeah, and there's something actually that um, I wanted to mention that I saw written in a tweet. And it's something that you often as a comics fan have to remind people of and that you think about a lot yourselves. And that is that... Um, Comics are a medium and not a genre. And I think 
Vertigo embodied that and Vertigo taught the world that or tried to teach the world that. And that is why we now have the stories we have and the comics we enjoy. And a lot of what we talk about on this podcast, as Leon mentioned, there you go. Comics are a medium and not a genre. I quite like that, actually. Um, I wish I could remember. I mean, I retweeted it when I saw it and everything. And I wish I could tell you like or find it in my timeline um, for, for where that came from. But yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely um, a thing that has to be sort of put out there again every now and again because you get it a lot with like animation and anime and other things like that where people mm. have uh, slightly uh, less of an understanding of how these things work and it's a few lightning poles that they... Uh, uh, lightning rods that they engage with every now and again, but they don't really delve in. Uh, and it, it, it's um, like there was another tweet that I just cannot find, can't remember, but uh, I'll find it and we can put it in the show notes where someone made yeah. a really good point that uh, Vertigo isn't dead. <clears throat> like Vertigo <throat> as an imprint is gone. But yeah. Vertigo lives on with uh, people like Berger and the uh, the other like editors and VPs who are working at... Um, Vertigo during its during its time, they've gone on to yeah. to other places and, and set up imprints, and they're giving us that that sweet sweet uh, sweet content that that carries on the DNA of that. And all the a lot of the like uh, creators and like writers, artists, colorists, um, inkers, cover artists, uh, letterers, ev- all those people. Um, who had such an impact on some of these seminal titles, but have also been working there in the, in the later years as well. They've all gone to other stuff. And some of these people are going to get like, um, brand new runs on black label. Some of these people have, uh, are at like burger books and, and, and the other, the other imprints that are out there. So it's like, um, it, it's, um, it's sad in that case, but, um, in terms of like the art itself, like, uh, as like that, the whole thing, I think, like that stuff lives on, and we're we're still going to feel the the impact, uh, and we're still going to get these really interesting, thought provoking, um, like transcendent stories. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm I feel good in that sense. It's yeah. just it's sad to say goodbye to something that was really yeah. instrumental in my love of comics. Mm. It's a symbolic goodbye. Mm. You're saying goodbye to a logo. But the spirit lives <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm just not looking forward to see shelves full of um, preacher books with black label logos on them instead. When they start, <laughs> get them now. <laughs> Enjoy that 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 glorious Vertigo logo. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Buy it while it's still there. So, um, I mean, on from there, I guess because I mean, I don't know. Is this going to be DC black label or what? I, I get confused now. But um, Batman: Curse of the White Knight's coming back uh, in July. I read a preview of it in um, one of the comics on my list of uh, comics to talk about today, which is Detective Comics 1006. Um, <laughs> I just I just felt Leon just like crumble under that when I said 1006. No, just restarts in my head. <laughs> 1000 is uh, uh, issue zero and they've just yeah. started again. <laughs> the timer has stopped. Yeah. Well, um... 
yeah, so Batman White Knight is coming back, and we've got uh, Batman Curse of the White Knight, which is like a sequel to uh, White Knight, which we talked about on this cast um, and discussed at great length. Uh, if you want to go back a few eps and check that out, please do. Um, I think the book's out collected now, so you should like 100% check that out because it's fantastic. Um, so... I'll just read off the official DC website. So, following the critical success of Batman White Knight, Murphy is putting a new spin on this upcoming series with the Joker recruiting a new savage partner to help him expose a shocking revelation about the Wayne family's legacy. As Batman rushes to protect the city and his loved ones from this corrupt conspiracy, the Dark Knight will come face to face with the horrifying truth. In some of the promo art I've seen, you've got Azrael in the promo art, so I'm quite looking forward to seeing some Flame Sword. Um, you've got, um, I mean, I read the preview in the back of the book and it's, it's already great. It's like, you know, classic open with the Joker escaping Arkham, but the way it's done is fantastic. And like the conspiracy at hand is also fantastic. Um, if, if it's what I think it is, which I'm not going to spoil, um, go out and check out the preview if you can find it. Um, check out the preview pages on the dc website it's it's out there so yeah give it a look and uh get hype for next month when this drops so i think we're going to be seeing this um in july uh which is only like a day away because tomorrow is july 1st as we're recording this this episode will actually be out on the 3rd of july um <clears throat> and this debuts on the 24th of july so uh it's on my list i'm looking forward to that um, Leon, did you ever, did you finish reading the original White Knight story? No, I had like one or two issues to go. You should get back in and read it because it, it, the way it ends is great. And, um, I could have just left it there. I didn't need a sequel, but now I've seen and read the preview for this. I need the sequel. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Um, interesting as well because i think the the um when we've discussed the previous white knight arc we we thought it was actually quite a nice breakdown of the relationship between the joker and batman didn't we we quite enjoyed that the way that it played with that a little bit and yeah it was um it's a good subversion of what we've seen previously in batman comics and stuff and that was like fresh for people like me at least anyway that have read like a ton of batman books um and it was just, yeah, it was just a fresh a fresh take on everything, and I quite enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to more of the same. Moving on from there, shall we just dive right into our list of books for today? So, we shall start with, I think we'll open with Marilyn Manor. So, this is one that I read, and this is Marilyn Manor number one. This is by Magdalene Passaggio, so this is like her latest, and... The best way for me to describe this is, like, a rager in the White House. What could go wrong? (laughs) That's, like, the best way that I can put what's going on here. It's an early 80s MTV video diary of mayhem. It's just nuts. I'm going to read the blurb. The blurb goes, Where were you in 81 when the White House goes dark for 17 days in August? The president's spoiled daughter and her best friend Abe, who claims to be possessed by the spirit of Abe Lincoln, throw a rager at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, unearthing long-dead historical figures and government secrets that are better off buried. 
Sex, drugs, rock and roll, seances, and secret passageways lead to time-bending mystical romps where past and present collide. But at what cost to Marilyn Keller, the world at large, and music television? <laughs> it's basically that, and it's basically what I've already described. Now, I read this. Tw- I had to read through this twice because on my first reading, I think I just I got a little bit disheartened at the fact that, like they dropped a geographical clangor and it just felt like it just felt lazy a little bit, I guess, um, in the way that they, they did this. And I think I might, have I mentioned this before on the cast, how sometimes like, um, it's something that me and Sophie often get into discussions about. It's about the way that American writers and Western writers, when they write write films and stuff like that, are, are lazy about Eastern Europe. Yeah, um, you have brought it up, and yeah. like you mentioned it in the context of Chernobyl as well, I think. Yeah, and um, in the way that uh, they use, they just band around the word Budapest in uh, the Avengers mm. films. <laughs> like, you know, ooh, something shady happened in Eastern Europe. You know, it's just, it just feels a bit lazy. Well, in this, they're, they're a little bit lazy with that because um, there's a line where they mention a DJ is from the... East German Hungarian border. Well, Germany and Hungary don't share a border. There's like two countries between Germany and um, Hungary, and there always kind of has been. I don't think there's ever been. A, I mean, even in that back then, I, I don't think there was a border between East Germany and Hungary. Like I, I looked it up and everything, and I, yeah, that I don't think there was. So <laughs> it's just yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, mm. and it just it's just like. You could have, you could have, you know that that just feels under research to me, and that that kind of like disheartened me a little bit while I was reading it. But I went back and had a second look, and I I, I could look past that, and beyond that, it's a really really fun comic, actually, a really a really cool fun story. Um, it's masses of fun. It's like a comic book Cindy Lauper music video if Cindy did a track with the Beastie Boys. Um. It's a rager in the White House. The art is nice and minimal. Minimal. It's conservative with its detail. It's clean and it works well for the aesthetic of the time and the story that it's trying to do. So, like, it it looks very eighties, as in not like an eighties comic book, but it just screams eighties at you. Like when you look at the way that the art is done and the way it's coloured with these like flat flat colours and neon and like everything, you know, everything just pops off the page and it's just in your face. You mean like also in the fashion and the way that the, yes. the, the world yeah. itself looks in like in context? Yeah. In the character right. designs. I mean, Marilyn herself is practically Cindy Lauper when you look at the character designs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the cover. And, yeah. yeah, definitely. With the, with like with the eye makeup and the um, like geometric yeah. earrings and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's great. Um, it's great. It's a great story. And I, I just love the idea of this like 80s rager in in the white house and um it just like brings back i mean like i know saved by the bells of the 90s but i couldn't help like because there's this uh there's a a facebook page i follow and a youtube channel that i watch called zach morris's trash that's a fantastic channel it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it basically does breakdowns of saved by the bell episodes and tells you why zach morris is a shitty person uh, <laughs> but, and i love it it's great it's fantastic but um this kind of like I couldn't help reading through it. Like I was reading through it, and like I felt like if it was set maybe a decade later, it could be a Saved by the Bell um, 
like plot or something like that. I don't know. Like I could just see Zach Morris in there. Like let's throw a huge party somewhere where we shouldn't throw a huge party, you know. But yeah, it's um it's great and it's just it's just so fun and full of mayhem. And there's these curved these lovely curved edge panels on the pages and it gives the impression that you're watching it all on an old TV set, which adds to the mood and gives you the MTV vibe and whatever and like some kind of video diary thing on an old video camcorder. Um Yeah, it's just it's just brilliant and like right away the cold open is like Marilyn has just finished dyeing her hair and is like walking out to the throngs of people like her party like her bathroom is a mess like initially when you first look at that page until you realize what's going on like for a split second i don't know if this is conditioning from the fact that like i'm used to seeing stuff like this in comics but i thought it was blood and then like she walks out into the party and i'm like that's red hair dye (laughs) but yeah it's um yeah i don't know if that's intentional or not but i thought that was kind of cool the way that hit me um, maybe I was expecting it to be something, I don't know, but it was, it's, it was just great, and, um, yeah, it, it's excessive, it, there's excess, it's brilliant, it's everything you love about MTV, and, you know, all that stuff, it's great, and I, I would recommend that, I'd recommend you check that out, just, uh, yeah, I mean, the only problem I had with it was that one geographical clangor, because, kind of, you know, yeah, we need to fix this the way that they like do Eastern Europe in Western stories because yeah, but yeah, that that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I can see that. how that would have put a dampener on, on yeah. you, but good on you for like going yeah. back and give it, giving it a second chance. Yeah, yeah. I guess we should move on to the next one on the list now. Um, should we go for the one that we both read, Ray? We can I, wanna... do. I don't have. I don't have loads to say on it, but I want to hear what your thoughts are as the veteran of both of these properties. I want to know why you're not into it. <laughs> I didn't say I wasn't into it. I just, I, it was fun. Like, look, go on, yeah. go in, dive in. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in case you haven't guessed, in fact, you know, what, I'll give you, I'll give you, uh, in fact, we'll let Leon, oh, so Leon, um, without looking <laughs> at the, uh, the, the run sheet, I want you to guess what two properties are involved in this next comic <laughs> based on me. Uh, based on you, um, mm-hmm. uh, turtles. Ooh, think is that the one that the one that's, that's out? Me. Ghostbusters definitely. Yeah. And if it's not turtles, it has to be Transformers. You got it. <laughs> so it's Ghostbusters and Transformers, and um, this was really cool. Obviously, <laughs> duh. Like, I will not hear anything else said about this at all. It was cool, and that is the gospel word. Um, <laughs> it is a celebration of 35 years of both franchises, and it's possibly something that had been happening in my toy box as a kid anyway. And now it's in front of me in comic form. I like to think that when I closed my eyes and went to sleep, this story was playing out under my bed. I don't know. <laughs> but um, It's wonderful. And uh, so far as I can gather in this universe, so basically um, it's a crossover of Transformers and Ghostbusters and it's just a fun celebration for 35 years of both franchises, which is obviously happening this year. And it's just a great way to do it. And I, I, I really love the idea and the premise of this. So the premise of this is that, I mean, we already know from the previous Ghostbusters comics and things that I've discussed on here already, we have an established multiverse. 
And in this universe, with this version of the Transformers, this is like the prime Ghostbusters universe. So in the prime Ghostbusters universe, uh, the version of the Transformers in this universe, the Autobots have fled Cybertron because there's a war going on in Cybertron as usual. But before the Decepticons could follow, Gozer descends and destroys the planet. And we have Cybertronian Gozer. And I think I've talked about the preview art for this as well um, on a previous episode with Leon. I think it was just me and Leon and I was talking about this and Usagi and everything else that I love. Um, But uh, because I was like stoked for this and the preview art shows you Robo Gozer like Gozatron or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and um, the uh, the two terror dogs as well, and they're all like Cybertronianized, and it's just, it's like fantastic designs. And yeah, Gozer, t- Gozer destroys the planet, and it plays out, I-, I love the way they did this, it plays out in much the same way that it does in the first Ghostbusters movie, when they meet Gozer, and Ray basically brings the, uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man down on everyone. Yeah, by, like, accidentally thinking about something in his head without wanting yeah. to. But this yeah, time... Like, oh. Yeah. Oh, go on. No, sorry. go on, carry on. Yeah, this time it's Starscream, Soundwave, Shockwave, and Megatron. And it's Starscream's fault. And Starscream imagines himself <laughs> as a giant king of Cybertron wearing a crown, a la the, um, the Transformers movie from the 80s, the animated one, where Starscream's coronation and then call this a coronation star scream more like bad comedy he gets turned to dust by uh um galvatron but that's a story for another day um <laughs> can i just say this is exactly why i wanted to read this and then talk to you about it because yeah just hearing you explain like the context of this makes it so much better yeah because <laughs> like, so... i liked i liked this scene to begin yeah. with but knowing that it's like cause i was going to ask you the question who is this meant to represent and the fact that you say it's Starscream himself it's hilarious it it's is so yeah good. it's it's yeah. king Starscream from the bit in and then uh obviously Starscream comes back later on as a ghost hmm. um in the cartoon series and lo and behold Starscream's ghost is on earth um which is kind of cool um so they kept all, but yeah so Cybertron gets wrecked by this huge Starscream um and uh, the Autobots are just well, out there adrift wait 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 because because again one of my favorite moments like very early on in this is like so Starscream has thought of thought of the thing that will be um because how does how does Goza put it like chosen a... the form of the traveler yeah, chosen. Uh, you're like your demise in the in the form that you choose, yeah. and he thinks of like this giant version of himself wearing like the decapitated heads of his cohorts around his neck, and then along with the matrix of leadership, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, and then they then they're screaming like Cybertron must be preserved, and then the next page is just a black screen, a black, <laughs> a black page saying Cybertron was destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> like, so like the timing of some of this is really comic. It's, it's really Megatron good. shouting Cybertron must be preserved, and that's yeah. Um, it's fantastic um and uh yeah so after that um we snapped to a bunch of autobots um on the autobot ship arc and uh they are like just drifting out in the universe they know cybertron's gone they know they're probably all that's left um and they pick up a cybertronian signal from where else earth and uh Prime decides to send a landing party of one who is uh, none other than Ectotron, who is um, 
he's a transformer that looks like a ghostbuster that transforms into the ecto one how awesome and radical is that right so um pretty sure i would i I would have said hilariously shoehorned but it was it's it's a net positive so yeah yeah. pretty pretty sure i drew this as a child but (laughs) uh so so he um yeah they send ectotron to investigate this signal cue our boys in gray clean up a spectral disturbance in town and bam that's where all it all meets and i'm not going to say any more than that because you need to go and read it and enjoy it because it's fantastic um the art as always is awesome in these books like i love the way shuning draws these characters and especially the way he's captured the lightness of the g1 designs uh, of the transformers like he's taken them from the animation and the toys and it's to die for like literally it's like so good the way he's done it and he just has a way with this like the way he manages to like present these characters in such a way they just look so great um and ectotron fits right in as a newly designed transformer original for the book and like the way he you know ectotron's design fits in and the way ectotron ectotron doesn't look new compared to the others he just fits like in with the rest of them and it looks great like he's always been there um yeah and just a a, i bang on and on and on about this creative team but like um we have uh so if i read out the full credits so it's dan shuning but uh, on art duties eric burnham is the writer um colors by luis antonio delgado and letters by tom b long um but like uh, luis's colors as well um like the way that it just looks like i'm i'm looking at the animation like the way that he's colored them and the way that this all kind of like comes together and even with the line work and everything like megatron's face and everything when you it's just the likeness is perfect um it's exactly just ripped right out of my childhood like you could have had this on a vhs it's that that's how it looks to me Hmm. um and eric burnham's writing like as you mentioned before like some of the comic timing in here is absolutely perfect like he Mm -hmm. time and time again he nails it spot on and if you enjoy if you enjoy this ray um, I'd recommend going back and visiting some of the other Ghostbusters books that Burnham's wrote because, like, he just nails it time and time again. Like, honestly, yeah, I I, I, I think I might because like this is a really good appetizer for yeah. for that work. I think because I really because I'd not I hadn't really made an effort to dive into any of the Ghostbusters stuff, but I really like the character design. I like how kind of goofy it all looks, and it's clearly being quite playful. And, yeah. Um, yeah yeah I dig it, it. it just like embodies the spirit of ghostbusters embodies the spirit of the property almost perfectly like the way that eric burnham writes these characters and the way that dan shuning draws this stuff it's just spot on every time no complaints from me at all ever <laughs> and i think i think you should all pick this up and it has interconnecting covers as well um when you get the whole um, run, all the covers are going to join up to make one big panorama. Oh, I see. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, that was uh, my first one. That's Transformers Ghostbusters, number one. Um, and that is on stands available now. I should also probably run through the credits for Marilyn Manor because I neglected to do so, and I apologise. So that is written by Magdalene Visaggio, art and cover by Marley Zarcone. Um Cover colour by Tamara Bo- uh, Bonavillain. 
Um, and the actual main book is coloured by Irma Kimvilla, lettered by Jane Hare. I thought I thought that was like just a cool, just like in your face bit of fun. Um, and then obviously I had Ghostbusters as well because I I think I needed a pick me up this week, and I think those two kind of did it for me. Um, they kind of they kind of like pulled me up by the scruff of my neck and like booted me and said, you know, just get on with it, which was great. <laughs> I just wanted to mention as well, um, like. Other than these, there was nothing new I was really massively stoked about over the past two weeks. Um, I've revisited Weapon X in the wake of Wolverine Exit Wounds. So there was a book that came out, uh, which was Wolverine Exit Wounds, which was part of the Marvel 80th Celebrations. It was an anthology of three new Wolverine tales. And although it was fun, I just found it a little lacking. And it prompted me to go back and reread Weapon X again, because that's my favourite Wolverine comic. And largely because the first tale in this anthology takes place during Wolverine Weapon X. Um, and I expected more from the list of names that we've got associated with it, but I think I was just... Um, I think the rose-tinted glasses, maybe. Because uh, when I when I picked it up and read it, I was a little bit... I, I felt let down by it. Like, it could have been so much better than it was. A little bit lacklustre. I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but... I wasn't like what, I was just like what, meh, Wolverine comic. What was know? it that is specifically that um, sort of pushed you away, stopped you falling in love? I think I think it was the writing was a little bit lackluster in places. Um, it didn't feel. Um, it felt like these people have done better and could do better, and were possibly phoning it in a little bit. I mean, you've got names like Chris Claremont associated with this, and Larry Hammer. And I just felt like they could have tried. I, I I felt like I felt I felt like they could have done better. I think maybe I was expecting too much because I saw the names associated with it. I don't know, but that's that's my take on it anyway. And I went back and read Weapon X instead. So um, Weapon X is uh, yeah, read Weapon X, but read Wolverine Exit Wounds as well. You know, go by all means go check it out. Just don't. Um, don't go in with high expectations because you'll end up like me. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. Um, it, w- it was fun, but it was a little lacking. Um, Leon, do you want to pick up one from your list next? Yeah, I'll speak about um, a comic which... Well, it's a graphic novel. Um, and this is 2019, Leon speaking, so it actually is a graphic novel. And it isn't just like a comic not about superheroes. So uh, it is not about superheroes. Um, this is a comic uh, called Waves uh, that came out on Boom Studios. And it's written by Ingrid uh, Scherber, um, art by uh, Carol uh, Morel? Morel. I'm always terrible at names. Uh, it's translated by uh, Ed- Edward uh, Gavin and lettered by Daron Bennett. And I'll read the blurb that they have on Boom Studios where, I mean, I went into this roughly with no information, but I'll read the blurb that they they put in, which is, um, after years of difficulty trying to have children, a young woman and her wife announced their pregnancy, only to have the most joyous period of their lives become one of the most, one of the, one of unexpected heartbreak. While drowning an ocean of sorrow following their loss, the young couple begin a journey of renewal and hope as they learn to live and love again. So, uh, I mean, off the bat, 
probably thinking, oh man, that sounds like uh, a downer. And uh, in some ways it is, but a lot of the stuff that's in that blurb is right at the beginning. And I think what the book does well is really put you with these characters as they as they go on this journey and like sort of connected to what I was saying earlier because this is a story that isn't about science fiction um, and isn't about some sort of fantastical element and is more just a, a series of like scenes and sequences where you're spending time with people over, over this extended period of time uh, and then you have some like um, poetic sort of dream sequences interspersed. What it does really well in, with the art and the visual storytelling is really, I know, really engages you. Like the panel gets this subject matter, um, or, or say that each page will get this subject matter and uh, just transforms it into something really. Um, uh, evocative um, and uh, like haunting, um, and yeah, you know, like while the subject matter at times is like melancholic and uh, possibly sad, or uh, it's not uh, misery porn, if if you know what I mean. It, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like this overbearing. Like feeling, considering the the subject matter, instead, it feels very honest and very like real. Um, uh, you can tell, and I did a bit of research on this, that it, uh, some of the story is is uh, like not fully autobiographical, but like um, pulls on experiences um, from from the writer, and you can really feel it because it's not focused on really the doom. It it, it focuses on uh, these characters like uh, working together and being each other's like rock through like a terrible time and like having to rebuild and and, and like look forward and um, make plans and it, it's like as it's like a, elements of it are like a relationship story as well it's it really captures the bonds um, that you get and like what it's like to be like in a, in a team to, to be like two people sort of against the world, sort of making your having to make lemonade uh, basically. Um, and yeah, it was really, really, I found it to be really effective and uh, highly recommend it because I am, like it just does things with like the, the panel structure and layout where uh, sometimes um there are no hard lines on the panels. Instead, the edges blur into the gutters. And um, and when there are lines, they are like more freehand and not like ruled or like digitally straight. And it's, and it's really good that it like the like the color and like the the line work. It, it's that style where it's. Um, you get some like bleed of like coloring where like uh, say like the the background and the characters like it, it will bleed sometimes and you get sort of like looser lines that don't fully connect and it's like it has a more sort of sketchy feel of like um, 
digital like um brushwork um the way the color is done it's um it's like color like blocks of color rather than things outlined uh, and yeah it, i think it's really good at um like like pulling you in in, in, in that way and um i feel the the line work that is there gives so almost like it's weird to say because of how the art style is, but almost like a tactile quality. The way like shadow is used in, in the coloring and the um, it does like a really cool thing where uh, like sets of pages or a page that are set in like one location or during one specific uh, scene, they are like there is a sort of color matching uh, being used that it's so effective like okay th- we're in this place now we're in this place now and that the col- the color palettes uh, just complement each other so well that you just really you have a real sense of location and place and you don't need to have anything of like saying their apartment uh, the hospital blah 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 in the car anything like that because the, the way it's the way the like visual language uh, works is that it just pulls you in straight away and it, it looks really good. Like a lot of the pages are the type where it, it, it would preview really well because you just show a couple of panels and some of the splash pages and it, it looks really nice where if you remove like the text box or something, it'd be a really good like background. I don't know that's weird to say about a comic book that is <laughs> about like a, a miscarriage and stuff, but it, it, it's just really, it's really nice to look at and, um, it's like a confident reliance on like dialogue free sequential panels um, to convey not just information, but feelings. And like what we've spoken about in the past, when we really like comics that um, really play with uh, the sort of panel time structure where um, each panel is like a snippet in time, uh, sped up or slowed down uh, uh, to what, what fits uh what's happening at that particular time and different comics do um like every comic does it but different comic different comics use it um more effectively than others in certain situations and i think this is a big one where it's so it's so confident and so uh, in like it has such purpose um, doing this that it just reads so so much cleaner as you're going page to page and you're like being pulled through this story and like you 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 really you really get to see the like the internal sort of sh- struggle that the the lead character is playing and and part of that is because we have these like nightmare dream sequences but also they're really good at like this, like uh, you'll have a panel of the character and the focus, the facial expression, what, what's layered out in the seat, in the, in the panel, you just sort of can pull that all in. Um, even if you've not had an experience, anything like the, the ones that are displayed. So I think it's really effective. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm happy. I just, um, went in near sight unseen and just went off. What I'd heard uh, like semi good things. Uh, well, I'd heard good things, but I didn't read that much into them. I thought, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll, let me check that out, and it it really paid off. And I think that all the different um, like art, art and, and uh, writing techniques, um, all of those serve the main purpose, which is um, 
making us feel like we are with these characters through the journey. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's um, not long. It's about 96 pages all in. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really nice to um, get something that feels um, quite complete, but isn't, um, and it doesn't have any like deeper mythology. Instead, you're just hanging out with, with characters. Yeah, man, that sounds sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, this is something that I've actually had my eye on for a while because I've been following all the Boom stuff because I quite like this particular kind of thing. Um, like looking through the, the, the artwork while you were talking, Leon, I realized that I've read something, that, uh, not by the same writer, but by the same artist, uh, Carol Morell. Uh, something that came out last year called Louisa Now and Then about this young girl um, who's an aspiring photographer and is it's a story about her finding herself and finding her sexuality. And like the artwork, I think, in that is very similar to what you expressed about like how um, there's no hard edges. Like a lot of it, to me, the way I would describe it is like, and, and looking at Waves versus Louisa, I feel like they're very similar art styles. So I'm, I'm not just pulling that out of nowhere. It's um, It feels like painted on rice paper and like it's almost like watercolor on rice paper where like all the splotches of different colors lay into each other and don't like uh, contrast each other that much and like there's a like you were saying um like almost a homogenized color palette per scene where there's like five or six main colors that get used over and over again even though like in reality it probably wouldn't be that way but it really gives a sense of place like i think I, I assume that's the same with Waze, and I, I really liked Louisa, and I really like uh, Carol Morell's artwork, so I'm I'm going to be reading Waze next, I think, based on that. Yeah, definitely. Like, what you said um, does ring true for, for Waves, uh, Morell's um, art and colouring. Like, what you say about the writer, but it does feel like um, like certain certain panels that, like, uh, ink has dried. I know it's digital, but it's like ink has dried at like mm. different degrees, or that the paper has, has absorbed different bits of different colors to a different degree, and it, it has, like I was saying, texture a lot. Like it, it has that like texture like popping off the page. Yeah, it has like an organic quality which you don't expect from digital artwork, I guess. Hmm. That's something cool. that I I definitely need to add to my list and check out because hearing you two talk about it. It just it sounds it sounds great and it sounds like it's like really considered and just beautifully put together. So it just sounds like something I want to check out. Yeah, and I'd, I'd just reiterate: don't um, be put off by the story. I mean, everyone's mileage varies, and obviously, uh, if you uh, if you got if there's any part of that story which seems um, like uh, triggering or anything like that, then of course. But um, if that's not not the case, um, don't let the sort of starting uh, theme put you off because um, as I've been trying to convey, I think that what the the writing and art do together is is tell a story where they're not... These characters... And not defined by their tragedy, um, mm. but it, it, it handles it in quite a, a mature um, and delicate and honest way. Yeah, it sounds like a very sensitive portrayal of something that happens often in real life and doesn't often get talked about, I guess. Ray, batter up. Yeah, so following on from that, I'm reading something, or I read something that was, I guess, similarly avant-garde. I don't, I don't know how I would describe this, but um, basically I picked up 
Clue Candlesticks. It's a, an issue one by IDW following on from uh, the same Clue as in Cluedo comics that I talked about, I think, last year. Because um, there was a six-issue run where it was um, the same thing. The, the, the board game Cluedo, or the board game Clue in America, and using the characters and location from the board game to, to write a story around. And this one is entirely written by one person, Dash Shaw. So story art letters by Dash Shaw. Um, also published by IDW. And I, I up front, I really like this. I think I like this better than the one that came out last year or two years ago, whatever it was. Um, basically, it starts off uh, with Professor Plum receiving a coded letter from Mr. Body. So it's all the same characters that were existing in the previous one and from the film and from the board game. Um, the letter from Mr. Body states that he fears for his life and uh, because of this, he wants to settle the precious items in his estate. And his estate also happens to be plagued by thunderstorms, he says almost incidentally in this letter. Um, and the items in his estate that he wants to settle and wants Mr. Uh, wants Professor Plum to be present for uh, just so happen to be the iconic weapons from the board game. And each item is given its own like really grisly backstory to justify their worth. Um, all presented in this really like cool 50s checkerboard coloured background style. Um, like really stark and flat imagery on this like really stark and flat background. Um, anyway, so Plum attends a dinner at Mr. Body's house where all the usual suspects are also in attendance. And we get to see like snippets of uh, Plum's Sherlock slash detective vision um, as he sat at this dinner table surrounded by people whose intents are never quite clearly known. Um and so there's a moment where uh, Colonel Mustard is pontificating on the nature of inanimate objects um, and them having baked-in motivations, and he starts an argument with the other guests who point out like the ridiculousness of his example of a plate having the desire to control what is and isn't served on it. Um, and at that moment, he spots the, fam- the famous candlestick, um, like the, the candlestick from the game, one of the items that Mr. Body wants to to pass on to his friends before his... Um, that you know his death that he seems to have foretold um, and Colonel Mustard like stands up from the dinner table and shouts that it like this candlestick has murderous intent and then in that moment lightning strikes and he dies <laughs> so I'll, I'll sort of leave the plot there I'll leave it hanging there um, and like moving on to the art like there's some really really interesting choices with framing and non-linearity of the plot and like highlighting absurdity and like incidental snippets in the background so like i'm gonna rattle off a few that just caught my eye so one um like right at the very start when professor plum is reading the letter that's sent to him and he's he's got his um detective vision mode on and like there's all these big bold arrows pointing to elements of this letter and like for example the the address that was um written to him is uh, space writing, small, angle, the handwriting of a lonely, isolated man. It must be Mr. Body. And then in the corner, you see like you see his hands holding the letter. And then in the corner of the the, the page, um, you know, folding over the gutters is like a, a brown splodge and like two ra- uh, two rose circles, which you quickly realize are meant to be Professor Plum's nose and his eyeglasses like resting on his nose, looking at the letter. Um, and so we're basically being given his point of view as we read the letter that he's received. I thought that was a, a nice touch. Um, we get an over overhead diagram of the dinner table that he's um, he's at and the seating arrangement just represented as like a stark white rectangle and coloured dots for the guests as though it was the, the pieces viewed from above. Um, 
we get like descriptions of different items. So like when um, Colonel Mustard is talking about, you know, the, the end, intent of items, he's, he gives some examples of like a ball wanting to bounce or a die wanting to choose its fate. And so like the descriptions of these items done as foreboding single panel flashes where the motivations of this die are described above like the the unfurled you know 2d representation of a cube on like a really flat bold um like dull green background as really like i don't know it gives a sense of just it gave me a really good sense of foreboding um what else is there so like Professor Plum being told to find a key to the back entrance of this of the mansion under a stone, like quote unquote stone, which the stone happens to be like one of the old conical blobby player pieces from the board game, just in that world with no reason or rhyme given. Um, at the moment of Colonel Mustard's death, we get like a cutesy newspaper comic style, like different art style version of like a flash of him standing before Heaven's Gates in a panel after we see him die. And then the rabble happening in the room just continues as normal. It's just like this whole, this one really incidental flash of weirdness. Um, a couple more, like uh, the floor plan of the mansion taken directly from the board game and it's, you know, it's retro styling. And then I'm going to end on my favorite line of the comic. So they, for whatever reason, they decide to move Candle Mustard's body um I don't know why they would do that when they're trying to figure out who killed him, but like they make the wise choice of taking him to the walk-in larder, and they say, "We'll lay mustard by the ham." And the other person says, "Good idea," <laughs> which I, just, I thought was a, <laughs> a nice touch. And like, so the, the issue, like that, I've just described the first like five pages basically. I don't want to say too much, but the issue closes off in like a series of escalating vignettes to another like strange climax. Uh, culminating in a page which fuses all of these artistic choices of the book together. So like stylistically mismatched perspectives and surreal depictions of the current state of these people in this room going through this um, this situation. And like 50s mystery style compelling portents of doom, like it's ripped off over like a Pulp Fiction novel. And it's also romantic and cool and I super dig it. So I think it's one of only three this time. Um, okay. I'm not sure if it's going to have the same gimmick as the first one, where in the first run it was each uh, each different printing had a slightly different ending um, to mirror the uh, the format of the the Clue film, which had like depending on which cinema you went to, they got different reels and like a different ending played out. I don't know if this is going to have the same gimmick, but we'll find out. Only in a couple of months, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's Clue number one of three by Dashaw. Um yeah. That I used to play Clue a lot with my brother, Cluedo as we call it in the UK. Yeah, the better name, Cluedo. Yeah. And um I used to enjoy playing it. So, I might have to check that out. Cuz these are all these yeah, are all it's... things like the, the the great thing about this is like you and Leon often bring up stuff that isn't on my radar, like that would never have been on my radar. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll have to check that out for sure. Um, Leon, have you got anything um, left to speak about on your list? I do. Um, back to Boom, uh, but this time the Boom Box, which uh, you guys informed me is one of Boom's imprints, um, is a a book that's it's like an autobiographical guide. So this came out um, late last year in December. And it's called, I moved to Los Angeles to work in animation. 
And it's um, written and illustrated, and the cover art is done by Natalie uh, Nuregat. And this is like an 11 part guide, um, but it's all based on what uh, she went through trying to get into the uh, television animation scene in LA. So, like, your Nickelodeon, Jakarta Networks, and so on and so on. So she was uh, a comic artist in Portland, Oregon. Actually, I'll, I'll read out the blurb and then I'll, I'll go into it. So when artist uh, Natalie uh, uh, Nuregat uh, left her life in Portland, um, uh, Oregon, to move to L.A. and pursue a job in animation, she realized that despite her research, nothing truly prepared her for the wild work, wild work that awaited in the studios of Southern California. This autobiographical how-to graphic novel uh, explores the highest highs and lowest lows of pursuing a dream in animation. And, yeah, we we, uh, follow her journey. I think it started um, around 2014 is when she did the move, um, where she was... she was, She was a comic book artist, but she was also doing freelance work and like uh work for like um like ad agencies and stuff there's like solid um paying work uh a story uh someone who does who can do storyboards um can get so she was doing that um but then uh portland sort of started to become the sort of hipster around 2010 is uh, portland started to become the hipster place it is now where a lot of uh different companies moved in a lot of people went in some gentrification happened and then uh, like prices and property prices and the general cost of living there just skyrocketed, making it uh, like unlivable there. And like there's there's historically been quite a big comic book scene in uh, in like Portland, but um, that led to a lot of people she knew, fellow colleagues and friends, to move to LA um, and to move into animation because um, there's a lot of obvious crossover skills, especially um, when you look at storyboarding. And with being in a situation where things are getting really expensive and she's sort of like out of sea lost, um, she, after visiting some friends and they're experiencing that, that, that sweet Southern California weather where you can walk out in a T-shirt in November and hang out at the beach, uh, she was like, hell yeah, like, I can do this, I can do this. So it goes through like, like uh, step by step, the process of what she went through, having to like sort of dig up roots and sort of get, get on I ninety five uh, and start a life in uh, the the city of angels uh, in Hollywood, basically. Um, and the way it goes back and forth, the character is addressing her, so there's like a first person voice um, where they're laying out what they did. And what they would, uh, and then sometimes it's like what they would do now. So they're they're offering advice, but at the same time, they're giving us insight into what they went through. And at the beginning, they like give it like a disclaimer saying, "Like this is this is all count in the like my experience, and like there are different factors that have an uh, like will have an effect on this, including 
doing things like certain certain um, vectors of privilege that she would have had access to, and just different uh, different aspects like that. Uh, so it's not like this is the be and all, but it's more sort of like this is this is this is my experience. And if I was going to tell myself back then, that these are the things that I would have like said up front. And it is, um, yeah, it, it's really good like insight into sort of how brutal these. Um, creative industries can be and how that there's um thousands of people like you um where like even if you think oh you're really really good and like you're really really talented thousands of people trying to get the same job even at the base 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 entry level junior 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 assistant 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 uh intern um there's still so many people going for those things that uh like at one point earlier on she mentions like applying for like these these interview processes where they will give you uh like i think it's called like a design something but um they will give you this brief and it's like uh create jokes about these two characters uh, in frame and then it's like uh create a song about homework and then the other one is like and uh, like draw this thing from this particular angle and so it's like it's, it's quite a lot of intensive work um, and then you go through all that process, then you go through multiple interviews, and then you can get to the end, and they say no. Uh, so it, it sounded like a brutal process. And she was saying that, obviously, she's doing like freelance work as well, but she was also um, like basically on the fly, like upping her portfolio. So, like, if a particular brief says, hey, uh, we want um, lots of zoo images, she would like rush to the zoo and like make a lot of drawings in set in the zoo and, and so on and so on uh so and it it's and it's, it's 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 honest it's it's humorous it's very direct um it's the the art style is that sort of cartoony like animated exaggerated um style where some metaphors are shown on screen like uh, like illustrated and uh, other things are sort more sort of like matter of fact um and it's because it's autobiographical it's um it's done in a way where like a guide that you may have seen like a guide comic where it's like 10 steps to to do da da when you're getting commissioned for work or whatever it's sort of like that where it is like series of like of like sort of newspaper comic style and there's a lot of text because it is autobiographical so there's a lot of information being given um but that that didn't really bother me. Um, but I thought the art um, served its purpose really well, and it made it more—it uh, made it more enjoyable to get through. Like, where instead of this was just by text, it's—it's it, it's, it has it, it adds it diff, it diffuses some of the like low lows by. Um, having sort of that, that art style and being a bit more bouncy because it's not um, like defeatist or pessimistic. Mm. It's just more like optimistic, but realistic. And like when you're getting into this, like just be mindful of this. Like you probably haven't even considered this thing, but uh, be mindful of this. And it, it goes yeah. quite, goes quite deep in each of the different uh, steps and the parts because it talks specifically about like trying to find an apartment Um that's like not too far from from work, and certain areas 
are like mega expensive but uh, and not that good but because they're near the animation studios people just live there in san fernando valley and it like it goes into detail with that things to a degree where it's a very present like it's a it's a, a book and a guide written for now and like in five years time some of these companies that are mentioned by name probably may not even exist anymore or be like bought and folded into whatever um so uh, yeah, it's not meant to be this timeless thing. It is like a snippet in time, um, and yeah, it's quite good for that. I don't think everything needs to be timeless, and I think especially the way this is presented as like a, a guide, sort of how to, but like this is this is how I did it, and this is how I would do it. I think it's very effective in, in what it's trying to do, and um, yeah, I um, yeah, I had fun. That I mean, I've got no intention to. Uh, <laughs> to try uh, like move to LA to work in animation but there was a lot um to garner from it and I I I really like the sort of behind the curtain um like uh stories or like uh insights because I feel like some of these industries um aren't uh it's not because like film I feel like we just have so much media about behind the scenes in film and like what people do to get in a particular situation. And I feel like the other, some of these other industries, these creative industries, um, uh, these mediums don't offer us that same um, transparency. Uh, Like, especially like animation, animation works on a different guild. It's not even like uh, the the normal guilds for like, um, uh, like acting, directing and, and so on. So, uh, like, yeah, there's like almost like a wall and, like, who do you know? And, like, it's not, it's, like, semi-insular. So it's nice to sort of get a bit of a, uh, more of a peek and get an idea of what that whole whole scenario uh, is like out there and how sort of, like, all these other creative industries, it, it, it is brutal. Um, and, and it can reward persistence, but there is, like, a high degree of um, luck and it's all about, or creating, creating the opportunities <laughs> for lightning to strike. Um, but like, it, it is really good, and it, 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 there is um, like meat, meat on there. It isn't like platitudes and and um, I don't know, like positive, positive quotes or anything like that. It is, it is very much like uh, meat and potatoes. And I, don't know, it, I, I quite, I quite enjoyed it as, as a read. I thought it was um, uh, quite uh, illustrative. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I'd recommend diving in, giving it a read. It's a uh, it's, it's a quick and easy read. I mean, it's like near a hundred pages, but um, yeah, it, it flies by um, pretty quickly. I'm just uh, looking at some of the pages now. Um, I've just got some of the pages up, and I'm just having a quick look. Um, and I like the um, I do like that the abstract cartoon style. Um, I think I think it works really well for the story it's telling basically from the pages i've seen and i like these muted pastel color these like muted yeah. colors that they use like the pastel colors and things i think that's great it really um, is like easy yeah. on the eye yeah it, it just it looks um like it's just there to be easy to take like easy to take in easy to take yeah. on board and yeah because you know how great. like the scott mcleod books basically yeah. use comics to teach you about comics this is sort of similar in that vein. It's of that ilk. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like this kind of slice of life thing at the best of times. So when it's autobiographical, it's a whole 
other new level to it. I, this sounds really good. Mm, I do like it. Um, and uh, I'm going to close this out, I think, with the last one on my list. So the last one I had to talk about was the one that I mentioned at the very start, which was Detective Comics 1006. Um, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is because it's the beginning of a new arc. And it just it just really resonated with me. And it was like, you know, like when you really need a cheeseburger, like nothing else will do. Like all the time, man. All the yeah, time. yeah. But nothing else will do. You, you just have to have the cheeseburger. And you know, like where your favorite cheeseburger comes from and things. And you can always go back to your favorite cheeseburger and it'll always taste great because it's always from the same place wherever you go for your cheeseburger, right? So what I really needed was a cheeseburger this week. And uh, my cheeseburger was Detective Comics 1006. It's the beginning of a new arc and um, it's Batman and the Spectre working together, which is really cool. Um, I always enjoy when these two cross paths and Batman stories get a little bit supernatural. I like that. Um, and this was written, the way this was written and the way it unfolded, it gave me like real feelings of nostalgia. It was like picking up a classic Batman arc or classic issues of detective comics. It just had that, that feel about it. And that was, that was what I wanted. I was reading it and I was enjoying it for that. I was like, yeah, this is, this is like reading old Batman comics again. And I'm really enjoying this. And, um, I'll just give you the blurb off the, uh, the preview site. So this is a brand new arc, by the way. You don't need to know anything to read this. It's just a Batman story. And that's what's cool about Detective Comics, that every so many issues it's a new arc, so you can dip in and dip out. You don't have to buy them all. Um, so Detective Jim Corrigan has been shot on the streets of Gotham City, and the Spectre must reach out to Batman to help him find the secret assassin. So Jim Corrigan was the host for the Spectre, and um, the Spectre is like this... Um, for want of a better word, spectral force <laughs> um, that lives inside Detective Jim Corrigan. He's like the host for the Spectre. Um, he's uh, yeah, he's he's like a, a an avenging spirit kind of thing. Is what the Spectre is, spirit of vengeance. And um, most times he turns up. It's. Uh, like a kind of a detective story to, and he's out to uh he's out to catch and avenge someone's murder or something like that and he's he's a bit of an anti-hero in that respect because he does no qualms about doling out justice his way and being judge jury and executioner now yeah this this is just like it just screamed classic batman and classic detective comic story and i think that's probably because kyle hotz is the artist there um, and I don't know if you've heard that name before, Leon, have you? I can't picture it. I don't know if I've come across uh, their works before, but I can't remember their name. So, Kyle Hartz um, has done a lot of work in comics over the years, and um, he worked on the Spider-Man clone saga. <laughs> so, so that's, that's why. I lost his name... When I uh, deleted that whole portion of my childhood. Yeah, so that's where you should probably know him from. Spider-Man Clone Saga. He did um, X-Men, Cyclops and Phoenix as well. That was that, Some of that was him. Um, he's, uh, some, uh, he's done some... Um, he's, he's done all sorts. Um, 
the Immortal Hulk. Uh, yeah, he's he's been everywhere. Um, so what? Yeah, I mean, it's just the the hit the feel of his artwork and the style is just it's just classic that kind of era where I got into comics and and some of the old Batman comics that I really enjoy um have that kind of feeling about them and the era that his his artwork represents for me and everything else and I guess that's where the nostalgia comes from um and there's lots of curly cape action in this book as you can probably guess from the um from 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 the style of the artwork I'm talking about and everything else you know where you've got like the cape and it kind of curls and they've got like the do you know what when I what I mean when I say curly cape action, Leon? I, I think I do. Is that cloaks like... and capes where they're kind of like split and they kind of curl a little bit at the bottom and stuff? And yeah, well, yeah, but at the end, yeah, yeah, and they feel like endless. Yes, yes. There's a lot yeah. of that, and it's really well done, like billowing and um, and I just there's some great panels in here, and it's just fantastic for that. And there's lots of smoke and mist and the way that that is drawn and the detail is just so fitting for a character like the Spectre. And there's just some great panels. Uh, one in particular I liked was where Passage of Time, it displays a uh, Passage of Time and it displays the Spectre reducing to Batman's size to be face to face with him. It's done vertically down the side of the page. And um, it's all done in one fluid panel without borders or, you know, without redu- splitting it into different panels you could have split it into three panels but i mean there is you could look at it and you could split it into three panels there would be divides but you wouldn't need to because the way it's done and it's so fluid and and gorgeous with the artwork like mist and and green cloak become one and it's just billowing in this vertical panel and he just reduces size in three stages and it's just so cool um also throughout this book we've got uh, an old school looking batman with his navy cowl and his yellow utility belt which is another nice touch and i think this was all um i think this is a calculated stab at you know like doing some old school batman by the team that worked on it and i think i think they've they've managed to hit the nail on the head and yeah and, and it's just it just works perfectly and it is it is for me yeah, it feels like old school Batman when I'm flicking through it and when I'm looking at the pages. And it just has that for me, which I really like. Uh, I'll just read out the creative team on here now. So this is Batman Detective Comics 1006. And we have Peter J. Tomasi is the story in words. Kyle Hotz is the artist. Uh, David Barron on colours. Uh, Rob Lee doing letters. Um, and... Yeah, it just um, it just hit the spot like a cheeseburger, you know. And that's the end of my comics list. And uh, I would say that wraps us up, but I've got a question for you. And uh, this was the question that I asked Ben when I did the interview last week. Um, you can check out the interview for their answer. I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, but one, I want to hear. I I kind of got the idea of this over this week. I was thinking, I want to hear what you you two would would say what what your take is on this question like how you guys would play that because i i think it's quite a i think it's quite a fun question i like it so you have a house share you have three rooms to fill so there's you and three other people um you have to choose three villains and tell us why you would choose those three villains to fill those rooms um and they can be from comics tv or games 
and um, I will go first to give you a kind of an idea of the kind of answers I'm looking for. So I would say that I would have Bebop or Rocksteady um, to fill one room. And the pros being they would have like really cool, like really like hardcore parties and stuff and it'd be fun. The cons would be there'd be no money and they'd trash the place. Um, but, I mean, you know, like, the epic punk rock rages that those guys would throw, right? Um, I mean, I'd probably have, I mean, in my answer last week, I said that I would have Doctor Doom, and that is because Doctor Doom, could, you know, he's kind of sciencey. he'd be able to get me free Wi-Fi and stuff and everything else. Ben rightly pointed out that Doctor Doom would never do the dishes, and I kind of, I'm, I'm inclined to agree there. But Doctor Doom's got people to do his dishes. I mean, oh well, yeah, I mean, look, he, he, yeah. I mean, like the other one that I thought uh, would make a cool housemate would be Loki from the Thor comics, because I feel like he would. Um... He'd be playing tricks on you all the time, man. Yeah, but I feel like it, it would like it make it fun. Oh, banter. <laughs> yeah, banter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not so... in uni anymore. I don't want banter from my classmates. <laughs> So uh, Ray's definitely keeping all three rooms empty then. Yeah, if I had the choice, but like I live in London, so that's definitely not a choice that I could make. Yeah, imagine imagine you need people to make rent, okay? Yeah. So who do you choose? Me. Okay, fine. Um, so I, I was thinking about this. I, I didn't consider games or movies and stuff. I just thought, keep it simple, look at comics. So I was thinking... So number one, Wilson Fisk. Yeah. Which, if... If he agreed, it would mean that I would have, like, really huge rooms, which is what I want. So, like, in this scenario, that informs the other. So, like, massive rooms. I'm sure he would bring, like, a really cool, comfy sofa with him. And I get the impression he's a really good cook. And, like, he likes good food. So I would like to have, like, Fisk around. Apart from, like, we're... I mean, he's a villain. So, like, we're ignoring all the temper tantrums and, like, whatever. I'm going to stay out of his way. Hopefully keep him sweet and, like, make use of all the cool stuff that he brings with him. Well, Um, If you look at the Daredevil TV series, he makes a good omelette. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's oh, the God, clip that I yes. saw. So, I mean, it'd be omelette for days with Wilson yeah. Fisk. Yeah. Um, poison Ivy, because I've recently got into buying and caring for some plants. Um, and I think she'd be a really good influence. It would mean that my plants would probably not die. They'd like, they'd thrive. And it would really keep me on my toes about not fucking it up. And Oh, my them, God. Yeah. Like... You'd be, you'd be shit scared to kill those plants. <laughs> Like... Exactly, and I, that's what I need because I keep I keep killing my plants, so I need like good influence around. You need me to... you need the incentive of instant death, exactly. Because she'd yeah, have no that... qualms about snapping your neck if you killed those I mean, plants. If, and you know, if that. I didn't, if I if I left, I could also just leave it to her and like have her populate my house with like really nice plants, lush plants. Hopefully, not like poisonous ones or you know man killing plants. But that's the risk you take when letting a villain into your house. And then thirdly, right now, if it was just a short term lease. Like, just for the next couple of months, I would say Mr. Freeze, because it's boiling right now in England. <laughs> yeah, but, like, he'd just, like, jack up the aircon to max, and your bills would be enormous. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but he could bring his... Own, that's that's That would be one of the stipulations of his rent, is that he brings his personal air conditioning unit and shares it with the rest of us. He wouldn't do like, that. He, got, he, cool. got piggy, he got piggyback <laughs> off of, like, my non-existent air conditioner. The only reason he's there is to keep things cool. <laughs> Uh, Leon, where are we with you on this? Um, okay, first I would have Selena Kyle, Catwoman. Yep. yep. Uh, like villain 
Catwoman. None of this uh, uh, matrimony, half good guy stuff. Like <laughs> I want, I want the thief, uh, and I don't have to worry about like my stuff being stolen because her taste is more more expensive. But I think I think um, Selena would be fun. Like a lot of the depictions of Selena, like the comics and movies and cartoons, she's cool, and I think that she would push you to do more exciting stuff. It'd be scary because she'd be like, oh, let's, let's rob this bank. I'm like, Selena, I, I don't know how to do that. It'll be fine. Don't worry. I'll do all the heavy lifting. You just come along. It'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be jokes. And I'd be she's, like, she's cool with pets as well. Yeah, well, that's something yeah. like, she'd be finding pets. I mean, I, I wouldn't want a hundred cats in the place. <laughs> well, you but, invite I mean, Selena over, you're going to have a hundred cats. I mean, they can stay yeah, in her room. They can stay in her room. But like, I, I like cats. So I don't mind that. But as long as she is in charge of like removing all the hair, because like, I don't want the sofa just to be covered in cat hair, but I like cats. So I'm, I'm done with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just think like, I don't know, she, she, I, she would show you a lot of the city that you just have no idea about because mm. you'd know all these different avenues and, uh, all these gaps in security, blind spots of CCTV, and, and you just find really cool spaces. You'd be like sitting on a bridge somewhere, like yeah, in a way that you to the rooftops. Yeah, yeah. like she was like, "Oh, I know the best. Um, do you want to see like the best, uh, the best view of the city, whichever city we're living in? Uh, preferably, I hope it's not Gotham, but um, whichever city we're in. She's like, oh, I'll show you the ten best views of the city. It's like, what the hell? Like, it'd be ace. So um, I, I think. Yeah, she'd be my first first spot, and she'd never be behind a ramp ever. Yeah, but if you're, like, you're hanging, what about if you're hanging out with her and her jealous leather club boyfriend turns up and punches you in the face because you're hanging out with? Selena uh, this is they're not dating things. at this stage. Yeah, but even if you're just even if you're with Selena like, and you're robbing banks with Selena, Batman's going to punch you in the face. Yeah, but like I said, <laughs> we're not specifically in Gotham, and he's selfish and works in his own city, so we'd yeah. be good. We'd be good. It's London, yeah. Selena Carl in London. Unless he needs Selena for something and he has to come to London to fetch her and ends up punching you in the face as a byproduct. This is before they've got their thing going on. <laughs> this is when they're just flirting on rooftops and stuff yeah. and she gets away. Um, I think second, I would have Magneto. Because you don't Mac- find the cutlery. Well, uh, well, yeah, minor stuff like that. I mean, it'd be super useful to have someone who's so powerful with magnetism and stuff like that. Um, the only thing in this scenario, having Magneto there, is that I would want to be part mutant in some way. Because I think that changes our relationship quite a lot. If I'm a, a dirty human, then I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go so well. But if I... I think even if I'm a human, I could appeal to his causes because I'm also part of a uh, a, um, a, a minority. So uh, I think it'd be really interesting to hang out with him because he would he would just have so many ideas and thoughts and stuff like that. And I'm not saying maybe I could stop him from like trying to genocide humanity, um, <laughs> but I mean maybe. Humanity needs to be genocide, but like <laughs> I considered Magneto for the same reasons because like he'll be he'll be cool to talk to, but I don't think I give in, give as much credit to him as you do with like not killing me off just for being a minority. Like what I was thinking is, what would you lie about in your advertisement, like in the newspaper or on whatever you know, like whatever Craigslist, like, yeah, Craigslist, Gumtree, whatever you're doing. What would you claim? What could you like? 
blur the edges of claiming that your um, your mutant power is without actually having one. Oh, well, like lie about having a power? Yeah, that you could reasonably like get away with without him questioning it too much. Man, that's a nervous. That's a nervous question. <laughs> some some mutant powers. When you look at what some mutant powers are in the comic books and stuff, they're fairly like inert. So you could just lie about yeah, but having a mutant I, power, and it could just be a talent, and you could just yeah. Like... I I I don't want to lie to um, yeah uh, Mag- Magneto. I, I, this is a relationship based on honesty, and I'm here to like listen to him and for him to like open up my third eye and turn on my own people, and I'm cool with that. Cool have you that. tried renting a room in London? You're going to have to lie at some point. <laughs> like, uh, no, but like, this is, the option is not, uh, the, the option is I've got the free empty rooms and he's coming to me. Right. So, so who's if I'm lying about room? anything, it's how good the plumbing is. I'm not, I'm not lying to him <laughs> about, about like, uh, uh, like this, this, this deep stuff. I want to talk about uh, marginalization and, and uh, get, get, into the, get into the weeds and stuff. Because, I mean, on the way to... Uh, screwing over humanity there are other steps you can do to sort of fix stuff for for mutants so yeah i can help him out of that stuff and yeah at the end when he's like i'm sorry leon but you knew what the last step was going to be uh i'll be like yep fair enough man fair enough <laughs> 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 had to be this way we had some good times and right then if a, concussive, coming, a red concussive was... blast comes through the window and saves your life yeah i think you'd like um my like skills with him on on MVC too. Um, he would be yeah. he'd be appreciative that I, I play as him quite a lot. He black and uh, um, he'd probably think it was like like the wrestler when uh, the lead character's playing like the SNES version of his game. Mm. He'd be like, oh, this is a bit silly and rudimentary. But if it's the glory years time, be like, yeah, maybe people are ready. Maybe we'll have gotten uh, gotten woke. <laughs> Like you know, the days you come home from work and Wolverine's been around and trashed your apartment because Magneto is there. <laughs> but, uh, like this is a closed door type thing. Like these people yeah. need to tell me when they've got um, when they've got people coming over because <laughs> uh, I, I can't have an X Men battle in in the apartment. Like I want to get my deposit back. Like we ain't getting your deposit be back because it. you've got Selena's hundred cats weeing everywhere. You know. No, come on! She's trained them. She's Catwoman. They're using the toilet. So naive. They're using the toilet. You guys, I, I'm sorry, guys. You guys don't read enough comics. <laughs> you guys are close-minded. So, you've got, you've got like whole so comics where Selena Kyle has got cats that are trained specifically to use the toilet. It's 25 pages of cats flushing the chain. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> No, that's a side comic where we're like we're, we're like we're a couple months behind on the schedule. We need to get something out. That's yeah. four cats a page, man. That's yeah. <laughs> so who's your third one, Leon? So the third one is tough because when you get to this stage, you want them to sort of complement the others, and it becomes a thing of like, oh, do I just go put a wild card in there? Do I just do I just do something silly and put a wild card in there who who might like uh, break this like really tense and uh uh on on like a wire's edge uh social structure we've got going on or do i like bring in someone who's a bit more uh like to business and will get stuff done and i think i am gonna add a wild card but i don't think this person would be as much of a wild card because i think they would get on with magneto Except I wouldn't want them to have a fight because it would be be messy. 
But I'm going to say Ultron. Ooh. Because I, again, on this bent of humanity, I'm always on the side of the robots in these things. <laughs> uh, I watch, <laughs> watch Westworld and I'm with the hosts 100%. And I, I think, like, it would be cool to have, like, um, an AI there who is, like, uh, like in the movie, it just took him five minutes on the internet to decide, whoa, these people got to go. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I understand that, Ultron. That stuff's real. Um, and I think it, it, it'd be fun um, to have, like, especially, like, in this in this um, example, if he is, like, the James Spader-sounding um, Ultron from uh, Age of Ultron, that would be cool. I think it'd be funny just to, you know, um, uh, Dexter's Lab, and you had... Um, Mandark. No, is it, was it based off Dexter? The uh, Justice Friends. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, and I love the idea of the, when you, that the three of them all sat on a couch together, uh, and I just love the idea of coming home, and I've got like Ultron, Selena Kyle, and Magneto just chilling on the sofa That's... on the on the L yeah. sofa, just chilling out, arguing over what to watch on TV. That's actually where I got the idea for this question from. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but I think that's a good squad. I think they complement yeah. each other in cool ways. Um, not sure how uh, Ultron would get on with all the cats, but uh, I think he'd be cool. I think I think he'd be cool, and mm. um, just like the benefits, like of, of having these people. I mean, Magneto is a badass. <laughs> like, who, like no one can mess with me ever. Having these three people, and I'm like. Cool. There'll be nights where, like, Magneto's bored and he's like, oh, you guys, is Selena dragging you out again to rob a bank? I'm like, yeah. It's like, yeah, let me come along. I could probably help out. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Bend, bend, the, bend, the, uh, the, bend the gates a bit and then bend them back into shape. No, no, no. Don't Mess up the cameras to... with your electromagnesis. Don't even need to break into the bank. He could just pull the safe out through the wall. Oh, uh, but that, that, uh, Selena wouldn't like that. Yeah. Like, she, like, she likes to be... She, she, she likes, likes to challenge. leave it intact. Yeah. Yes, like, slip in get what you need, slip out. Yeah. And like, see that, you're, you're thinking of it from Magneto's perspective, is like, yeah, just pull the jewels out of the window, it's cool. So then it's like, no, not that way. It's not how we do it. This is why I don't invite you. <laughs> so yeah, so, I think it'd be good. Yeah. See, like, I've been having a think and I've been thinking like maybe Harvey Dent for his interior design skills. Yeah, but that then you've got two uh, people in the place of one. So you've got four roommates. <laughs> Plus half your shit wouldn't match the other half. Yeah. Oh, that's in his room. That, yeah. that, <laughs> he could do whatever he wants in his room, but yeah. I, I think that would cause issues because it, you'd have the thing of like, who used the last of the toilet paper? And it was like, it was Two Face who did it, but Harvey's going to be blaming you guys. And it's like, no, that, this is your problem. I guess give him the ensuite, but um, it'd, man. it'd be good for solving um, disputes. Like, it just flip a coin. You know, like, can't decide yeah. what to watch on Netflix. Heads, tails. Can't, well, like, can't decide whose turn it is to go out and, <laughs> and buy, like, toiletries or heads, tails. Can't decide, yeah, you know. At least you wouldn't have that indecisive BS. Yeah, like, can't oh, decide who's, well, he toiletries, just I mean, it. cleaning products. But, yeah, heads, tails, heads, tails. See, yeah, it's, like, it's, part it's, of me earlier on was thinking of, like, the Riddler, and I thought, like, that's a hassle, man. That would be annoying after Oh, no, because he's yeah, so, so annoying. 
Yeah, he's so up himself and so aloof. Like you just would. You, sometimes you just want a straight answer. It's, it's like, hey, you're gonna have the rent bud the twenty fourth, and, and <laughs> like <laughs> he put you around the house. You, it'd make you walk, uh, go around the whole city, like geotagging and like finding <laughs> all this BS, and then you get back, like you, you played like Pokemon Go or Ingress or something, and you'd be like, yeah, it's gonna be a day late. <laughs> like it'd be, it'd be so frustrating. Yeah. No couldn't have him as a housemate um i think next time we have to do this with heroes we should try it with heroes as well see what yeah see what kind of answers we get but I, I, yeah that was um yeah um i think i think we're at the end of the episode now so uh we should go through the pool list and then i will close this out so um i have a pool list for the third of july um i'll open so the third of july when this podcast is available uh, Crowded's back on the shelves with Crowded number seven. Um, a comic that me and Leon have discussed previously on the podcast in things we were looking forward to was No One Left to Fight. Um, and that is out. And No One Left to Fight. I'll just read you a quick blurb for that. So this is on uh, Dark Horse. And uh, they've saved the planet countless times. But what happens after the final battle has been won? Creators Aubrey Stitterson, a comic book story of professional wrestling in G.I. Joe, and Fico Osio, Spider-Man Revolution, take inspiration from the legendary Dragon Ball to tell a story of regret, resentment, and growing older. One that asks, what does a fighter do when there's no one left to fight? And um, we've already talked about this before, me and them, with the character designs and things. Very very DBZ-ish, Street Fighter-ish. Um, a lot of... Uh, like post-apocalyptic influence going on as well with some of the way that the, uh, the people look and stuff, um, and I'm I'm pretty pretty stoked for that. It looks kind of cool. It looks it looks kind of fun. So I want to give that a look and see what that comes out like. Um, we've also got uh, test number one, which we talked about two episodes ago. We reviewed it. It's out. Uh, go and take a look. Got Lois Lane number one. So uh, for Lois Lane number one on the road. And out of Metropolis, and carrying a secret that could disrupt Superman's life, Lois Lane embarks on a harrowing journey to uncover a threat to her husband and a plot that reaches the highest levels of international power brokers and world leaders. Critically acclaimed and best-selling author Greg Rooker and master storyteller Mike Perkins team up for a tale of conspiracy, intrigue and murder that pushes even Lois to her limits. So how do you feel about that? A Lois Lane detective tale. I think I think that sounds pretty cool. What do you reckon, uh, Leon Ray? Yeah, it sounds. It's, it's it, it definitely is an idea that could have legs. I mean, her job is her being a detective, um, and I don't think we get enough of that. So it'd be it'd be cool. Yeah. Um, if they explored that, um, like effectively. A Lois solo outing. Um, and uh, we also have. Uh, to finish off the uh, 3rd of the 7th, we've got Fantastic Four, The Prodigal Son, which uh, I picked out because it's got um, it's the first of three interconnected special issues featuring the Fantastic Four, the Silver Surfer and the Guardians of the Galaxy, producing Prodigal, uh, uh, introducing Prodigal, a strange alien being who has crash landed in the Savage Land. When he becomes worshipped by a race of swamp-belling barbarians... Kazar and Shana call upon the Fantastic Four to aid them in stopping the Barbarians' plans to conquer the entirety of their world. Join Prodigal on his lengthy journey to try to return home to settle old scores. 
And that just sounds interesting because it's the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer in the same book. Ray, do you have anything for us for the 3rd of July? Uh, I haven't properly looked, but the only one that comes to mind is we talked about um, our preview for Test, number one, a Vault book. Uh, That'll be coming out on July the 3rd. Yes. Uh, So, moving on to 10th of July, we've got Detective Comics 1007, which is the continuation of the arc that started in 1006 that I have just talked about in this particular episode. Um, We've got Batman Universe number one which is um so this is now available to comic shops for the first time so available to comic shops for the first time following the theft of a priceless Fabergé egg the riddler leads the dark knight on a wild hunt after its true owner true owner Ginny hex a descendant of jonah hex guest starring deathstroke green arrow and dozens of riddler lookalikes in stories by brian michael bendis with art by nick derrington originally published in batman giant three and four so um i think this is the stories that were published. You know, like um, Walmart had uh, the Walmart exclusive books, Walmart exclusive DC comics that you could only get in Walmart. And um, I think they're now available in comic shops. And that's what this is. So I'm quite looking forward to getting to read those because they wouldn't, they were never, I don't think they were ever sold in the UK. Um, Walmart in UK would have been Asda, wouldn't it? So. That's weird. It's like yeah. it's like video games. Mm. Yeah, it's it's strange. Um, but they're they're in comic shops now under the moniker Batman Universe. So I'm going to be like, checking that out. The whole comic, not just the cover, exclusive to a store, right? Yeah, yeah. So so this was. Damn. I think these were like um, they were a line of comics that were exclusive to Walmart. That's wild. I'm just going to fact check myself while I'm talking to you now. So yeah. Yeah, they were doing these 100-page giant comics line for Walmart, and they've ended the uh, exclusivity, which means they're bringing them to comic shops now. I'm not sure what the idea was behind the actual thing in the first place, like why they chose to sell stories in Walmart and nowhere else, but hey-ho, uh, DC does as DC wants. We've also got Wolverine versus Blade number one, which I picked up just because it says Wolverine versus Blade number one on the cover, and uh, the cover is Wolverine in his, well, you know, the black, uh, black and grey Wolverine with the red eyes. You may know it as a alternate skin on Marvel versus Capcom. So Wolverine versus Blade number one. Now the blurb literally just says, so like the blurb is literally just two of the deadliest hunters ever to have stalked the night face off. Wolverine versus Blade. Enough said. That's that's all you get. But the picture is... Uh, the, the cover is Wolverine and Blade locked in combat. Um, I can't help but feel like Wolverine's going to win this one. Um, I don't think Blade... I, I don't think Blade stands a chance against Wolverine. I mean, I might be wrong, but that's just me. Uh, you've got giant-sized Ecstatics, which is the return of the Ecstatics. Again, something that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, so giant-sized Ecstatics, and that is because it's Mike Allred, obviously. They're back, more alive than ever for this special one-shot, but what new threat is so grave that only the most famous mutant celebrities can fight it? And who is the new You Go Girl? Only the original Ecstatics creative team, Peter Milligan, Michael Allred, and Laura Allred know for sure. So it's the Allreds which is why I picked it up. And the cover looks gorgeous, and it's the Ecstatics, which is this team of celebrity um, celebrity mutants. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all good fun as a comic book, and I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this. 
Giant Size Ecstatics. Um, we also have Reaver number one, which is a new number one that I came across now. Uh, this is in Image Comics. Um, Ecstatics is Marvel, by the way. Um, the continent of Madras once promised a new start for settlers, but 200 years after its discovery, the war rages on. Deep within this savage and untamed land, a darkness builds that must be stopped at all costs. Um... To do so, the Imperials assemble six of its most despicable prisoners. A turncoat, a skin-eater, a sorcerer and his bodyguard. A serial killer and the devil's son. The only one who can stop the end of the new world. They are the Hell's Half Dozen. So, it's kind of like a Dirty Dozen slash Suicide Squad slash that kind of... I get that kind of vibe off it. Um, and uh, it just it just struck me as kind of cool. Um, and that's on Image Comics, like another number one to look out for. Got another one called Unearth. Um, Unearth number one. Uh, this again is another one on Image Comics. Um, and the blurb for this just sounded interesting. So, when a flesh warping disease ravages a remote village in Mexico, a scientific task force travels to the inhospitable area to investigate the contamination. Tracing the source of the disease to a nearby cave system, the team discovers a bizarre hostile ecosystem and a supernatural revelation from which they may never be, from which they may never escape. This new subterranean nightmare is brought to you by writers Cullen Bunn and Kyle Strahan and rising star artist uh, Baldmar Rivas. So Cullen Bunn is what drew me to this. And um, this actually sounds more exciting than Reva. Reavers, um, I'm actually I'm actually into this. Um, next one on the list and uh, final one on the list is something another another new number one that I looked across called Ghosted in LA. Um, in Los Angeles, finding an apartment is killer unless you live with the dead. Rycroft Manor may be old, it may be abandoned, it may even be haunted, but Daphne Walters doesn't care about any of that. It has a pool and it's rent free. <laughs> New to LA, coming off of a bad breakup and having pretty terrible week, Daphne might need to crash on this haunted couch for a while. But having undead roommates might be more than she bargained for. Will the dead be able to help Daphne find the life she's been missing in the big city? From GLAAD Award-nominated Cena Grace um, of Iceman and illustrator Siobhan Keaton, Clueless Gem and Holograms. Now, Cena Grace was um, Jughead's time police with Cena Grace. Uh, it comes a story about learning how to make friends, find love, and live to the fullest with a little help from some friends whose lives didn't end at death. So, living in a haunted house with dead roommates. That sounds kind of fun. Um, so that brings us to the end of the pool list, and that is the end of Ace Comicals number 66. So you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, where you will find links to our Twitter, where we are called Ace Comicals. You will find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. We are on Instagram under Ace Comicals. You can find us to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Castro, Overcast, Pocketcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, we're everywhere. Um, you can get in touch at acecomicals at gmail.com or you can DM us on Twitter or, uh, you, you know, at us, just send us a message, whatever. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U. Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monkeh, so that's M-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Leon uh, Everett and also I was recently on an episode of Dynamite and the Brain, um... Uh, where we were talking about uh, Fury Curry um, Progressive, which is the uh, like years years um, late uh, continuation of the Fury Curry uh, 
like storyline. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd recommend going and checking it out. We have quite a quite a fun and interesting discussion on on the show. And that wraps us up. So that has been Ace Comicals episode number sixty six. Ace Comicals over and out.